Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have my social media friend and fellow Washington State resident, Jenny Weaver here today. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, if you could just start by letting the audience know, the listeners know, you know, where, well, I already gave it away. You're in Washington State, but where do you live and what is your <clears throat> relationship to arthritis? Okay. Yeah. So I am the best way of describing it, I'm near Vancouver and Portland. I'm north of there in a tiny town in Washington, not far from the ocean. I love it. It's amazing. But my relationship with arthritis is I was actually diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in 2012, December, actually, of 2012. So it's been a little bit. Wow. And how old were you then, if you don't mind? I was 32. Okay, perfect. Um, not perfect, but I mean, perfect for me to know that information. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, we always kind of, I always like to hear people's diagnosis, quote unquote sagas or stories. Sometimes it's more of a story. Sometimes it's more of a saga. Um, so what, how did you get diagnosed? What were some of your first, you know, symptoms? Yeah. So mine of course is definitely a saga <laughs> oh, and man. Yeah. You know, it honestly, it started with a pain in my left knee and it wasn't widespread. It was just the knee. And it got to the point where it didn't matter everywhere. I went, I was limping. I was complaining. My husband was worried about me. And I talked to my family doctor. And at the time he thought that I had a strep infection hiding in my knee. Oh, wow. And I guess it's a thing. I didn't know it was. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was like, well, have you ever had it? Yeah. Like years ago. Right. So I right. Been, didn't even hurt. So yeah. So he had me on antibiotics for geez, I think it was at least three months and, oh, wow. and it didn't get better. And next thing we know, it's my shoulders are starting to hurt. My hands are starting to hurt and everything's inflamed and hurt. It's just so 
painful. And, and even my gut started acting strange and I didn't want to eat. Me too. Yeah. I rapidly lost like 45 pounds. I was under a hundred pounds. Wow. Yeah. And I'm five two, so I'm short, but still, I feel like I should weigh a little more than that. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. I was just, I was down to 105 and I'm five four and I had been like 130, 135, like mostly muscle as an athlete. So it's, it's really uncomfortable losing that much weight so fast when you're not trying to. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So, okay. So you have these systemic symptoms like, the weight unintended weight loss plus the joint pain symptoms were you fatigued also yeah well and at the time I didn't even realize that you can get the the low-grade fevers and I was getting them all the time and I was like well I'm not sick like why why is all this happening this doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. just finally the doctor said you know I think you have some sort of rheumatism, but I can't place my finger on it. It's not my specialty. And it's time we, we get you seeing someone else. Mm-hmm. And I knew someone fairly close to my family that also has rheumatoid arthritis oh. and she was going to a specialist in Spokane. And mm-hmm. so she recommended it. And it was at the time where we lived, I was only two and a half hours away, mm-hmm. two, two and a half. And that wasn't bad but I hated the doctor. I absolutely hated him. Oh no. <laughs> His what, own- what were some of the things that made it not okay. a good relationship? Yeah. So my very first time that I met him, he was more focused on my weight than on my pain. <laughs> oh, on like in, in the sense of what was he attributing your weight loss to? It wasn't like he really attributed it to anything. He was so focused on, well, well, prednisone is the answer. You really need to put some weight back on you and that should help with your pain and inflammation and, and mm. we'll go from there. And looking back on it, I really wish I would have just stood up for myself. Mm. I was so new in it and I was so scared because I don't know, I, I guess I didn't know what was going on with me and no. I didn't feel strong enough to, to ask all the questions and to stand up for myself. Yeah. And you know, I feel, I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I felt like once I lost a certain amount of my body weight, it almost felt like I was in a real brain fog. Like, and I don't know if there's some medical term for that experience, but like, I just couldn't think clearly. And I mean, it could have been the autoimmune brain fog from the rheumatoid arthritis, but, um, it's just, it's, and you don't know better. If you haven't been a chronic illness patient before, you don't know that you can even ask questions and yeah. Yeah. To me, it was like, I'm here waiting for you to just tell me what's wrong with me. Give me something, make it better. Yeah. And I had no idea that that's not how it works. Well, and in 2012, there were so many good treatments already available though. Did they put you on anything other than prednisone? So they finally did. It took some time, but the next time I went back to see him and I I actually wrote all this down because I have kind of a complicated story. So that's when we decided to start doing the disease modifiers. Mm-hmm. And so of course the first one was Plaquenil mm-hmm. and I actually had a seizure on it. <gasps> oh no. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, um, at the time I was also on medication for migraines. And oh. so when I contacted the office and said, this is what happened, uh, you know, research. My husband doesn't feel comfortable with me on this. It looks like this is something that sometimes in rare cases happens to people on this medication. And he was like, Oh no, no, no. 
you, you're, you already have seizures. I want you to stay on this medication. Oh dear. I have seizures. Since when have I ever had a seizure in my entire life? What are you talking about? Oh like, no. Oh my gosh. He assumed because of the medication that I was on that treats migraines and seizures, he assumed oh. I had epilepsy or something. Oh, wow. And <sighs> so this was an over the phone conversation where he was really pushing me to stay on a medication that I did not feel comfortable staying on. I'm and so sorry. So that was the first time I, I did stand up for myself and I said, Nope, I'm not taking it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like it's, there's no other treatments, you know? <laughs> I know. And I wish, I just wish I could go back in time and shake myself because there's so much more I know. Oh, totally. I have to tell myself every day, like know better, do better. Like if you, when you know better, you can do better, but the time you didn't know. So you did the best you could, you know? And I think it's why it's so important why we have things like these podcasts and Mm -hmm. groups that people can go and ask questions and support each other because people don't need to feel alone like that. They, they need other people to stand up and say, no, 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 no. Go back and ask this. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So then what was the next, what was the next step on the treatment journey? Okay. So after that one, we tried sulfasalazine. Mm-hmm. I had highs on that one. Yeah. I, that's the, one of the few that I've ever had a reaction to that. I, my body did not like it. Yeah. What happened to you on that Sulfa, one? Um, <laughs> This is where I wish I, this is another thing. If anyone listening is like newly diagnosed, like know better, do better. I wish I had kept better records. My mom did keep some, some records. We don't seem to have like a completely comprehensive list because, you know, each facility keeps their own records. And then I requested them one year, but it'd been too long. Anyway, keep them yourself by that's advice. But, um, uh, according to what my doctor just recalled, it was just that I had a stomach upset on sulfa cells. And I guess some people okay. are just sensitive to sulfa drugs. So it's on my chart now. Like don't give her sulfa meds. Cause I guess some antibiotics are sulfa. Yeah. Cells, like are sulfa based. So, um, so I don't recall again, I was so out of it. I felt like I was, I just wish I kept thinking I'm dying of like stomach cancer or some sort of GI cancer because of the unintended weight loss that I was so shocked when I got diagnosed with RA, but then like, um, I just felt like I, I was just felt in a, and when looking back, I just felt like it was a little bit of like a dreamlike state, like, okay, try this, try that. And then all of a sudden things kicked in when I was on Enbrel and with a Trexate, like, well, I'm back. She's back <laughs> anyway, exactly. but back to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I love, I love hearing from other people because I, a lot of times we do have similar things or I don't know, it's just encouraging to hear what other people have to say too. <laughs> yeah. The advocacy is so, is so important. And whenever, whenever I hear about someone else advocating for themselves, it reminds me to advocate for myself. Like for some reason I'm like, yeah, she should advocate for herself. But then when it's me in that scenario, I'm like, oh, but I don't want to like make I don't want to cause trouble. I don't, you know, yeah. so, okay. So then self-asalazine didn't agree with you very yeah. well. Okay. And I don't know if about you, but meloxicam was another one they tried me on. Yeah. That's like a painkiller. All right. Uh, it's a, uh, oh my God. I keep wanting to say SSRI. It's a yeah. non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. 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 So they tried that one and they thought, okay, let's try this. Maybe this will be a little more gentle. Oh no. So Mm. much GI upset. It was horrible. Mm. Oh no. And so it was like, the list just kept growing. Okay. This one's not working. This one's not working. Methotrexate was the next one. And 
I did the pills. They made me so sick. Eventually I had to do the injections mm-hmm. and I was so, so terrified. And I'll tell you the first time I saw you in a video injecting yourself, I wish I would have seen that Aww. way back then, because I think that would have made it a lot less scary for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am. Yeah. I honestly didn't know how common, um, needle phobia was until I started doing videos of myself doing my injections. And then I realized I wasn't being very sensitive by not giving any sort of warning to people who are like true, you know, like very, cause I'm, I'm claustrophobic. So I understand phobias. Like it's not just a cute little thing. Like it's like an actual, like a horrifying experience if you have a bad phobia, but anyway, but a lot of people are just not just maybe phobic, but maybe not clinically phobic, like a, di- a psychologist would diagnose you, but just like, like you said, terrified or scared to do it. Yeah. And you know, what I finally noticed was about a year ago, I started recording myself doing them. Oh yeah. Something about it forces me to get over being scared. (gasps) Wow. Wow. And so, so it's almost like, I feel like I have to record it and then I'll delete it, but something about recording it, Mm. it's like that pressure of, you got to just get it in there, just get it over with and do it. Wow. So do you share them on social media or they're, they're just for you? I, I have, I haven't shared one in a while, but there yeah. for a while I was sharing them. And I even, I showed the first time showing myself crying about it because yeah. I want people to understand that like, sometimes this is super scary. It's intimidating. Who wants to mm-hmm. jab themselves? Nobody. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, do you think it has gotten easier over time? I definitely think so. I had to stop doing that for a while because they moved on to biologics and that's when life got even more crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh gosh, I'm trying to keep a timeline, but it's so crazy. Oh no, no, no. And I'm, I'm the worst at like interrupting and being like, wait, what about this? Yeah. Okay. So you did the methotrexate and then first first the pills, then the injection. So yeah, so it was probably still 2012 when we introduced biologics because she would just was not happy with the methotrexate. She's like, yeah. no, because at this point I switched rheumatologists because yeah. I could okay. not deal with that first one anymore. And because honestly, the second time I went in to see him, he handed me three pamphlets and he said, I think you have one of these. I'm not sure which one, but, but take them, take them home and read them over. What, what were the pamphlets titled or what were they about? Like RA, PSA and. So one was lupus. One oh. was RA. I don't remember what the third one was. And maybe, I wish I would have kept them. Maybe spondyloarthritis or psoriatic or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even remember. Wow. That's a lot to not, to be in that un, swimming in that kind of unknown territory. Like, I guess I can't even wrap my head around this because it might be lupus. It might be RA. Yeah. I know. And then it wasn't like he was explaining why he thought that it could be. Mm. And I remember going home because my husband wasn't able to go with me to that appointment. I remember going home and being, and telling him what, what the doctor said. And he was like, well, why didn't you ask him this? And why didn't you ask him that? Oh, I just didn't even think about it. And I, I was to the point where okay, maybe I should not be trusted to go alone. Mm. And you're not trusted. It's just, it's a lot for one person to handle. Exactly. And my husband was like, so he wants to give you all these medications and he wants to keep having you try them when they're constantly having really bad reactions for you, Mm. but also not totally working. And you don't even have a diagnosis. Like, why are you Mm. taking meds for this mystery thing? Yeah. And yeah. 
So that's it is what a I little bit rheumatologist. Just for people listening, it's a somewhat common practice in rheumatology if you don't know the diagnosis to use response to medication as a diagnostic like um, factor, right? So it's like if uh, the classic case is prednisone as the first one, because if, if someone doesn't respond at all to prednisone, then typically they don't have an inflammatory or autoimmune condition because they tend to do rapidly better. Like psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid do a lot. People do a lot better on prednisone. So if you hadn't done well on prednisone, then that could have been a little signifier that, Oh, maybe this is something else. Um, and then like a same little bit, same with methotrexate. Like if you don't respond at all to methotrexate, because usually what makes people stop methotrexate is the side effects, but they still usually have a positive effect like of reducing the joint pain and inflammation. So that's not necessarily a bad practice in and of itself, but the doctors should, in my opinion, <laughs> if I rule the world, they would explain very clearly to you, like, look, this is what we do in your cases. Like, this is not like you're being some lab rat that's being experimented on. Like, this is a typical thing we do. Like these diagnoses aren't, there's no gold um, or there's no silver bullet for the diagnosis. It's not like diabetes, where if your blood sugar is over X, you have diabetes. If it's under X, under something else, it's like pre-diabetes. And then if it's under something else, you don't have it. Like that's it. It's one test. Yeah. But, but anyway, but they, so I'm not saying that you shouldn't have felt bad that they should have explained it to you a lot better. Well, that's just, exactly yeah. it. And that's what I try to tell people now is like, this is common, but it's okay to ask them questions. Yes. And it's yes. okay to be concerned and, and to not feel like things are right. Yeah. And, and I, I look back on it now and I don't think he's necessarily a bad rheumatologist. I think that he could have dealt with things a lot better when he yeah. saw that I was visibly scared, absolutely terrified and emotional. Where was the compassion there? Yeah. Where was, that is not too much to ask. Where was the five minutes to better explain things and try to help me not be so scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's those soft skills that some people are really great at taking the tests that allow you to get into medical school, you know, taking the MCAT, taking, you know, understanding biology and the science, but if they don't have the soft skills to go along with it, then their effectiveness as a practitioner is just really diminished. And it's just not a good experience for the patient either. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, I you know, I, I thought that by going to the big city, that this yeah. was going to be the perfect doctor for me. And, and I had kept hearing not so good things about the ones in Tri-Cities. And finally, I was mm -hmm. like, you know what? Forget what they're saying. I need to try the ones in Tri-Cities. Yeah. I need to find out for myself. And I actually found one that was wonderful. And the very first time that I went in, he looked over my chart. He looked over the meds that we had been trying. And he's like, you have rheumatoid arthritis. Why, why don't you have the diagnosis? I don't understand, but I'm giving it to you now. This oh, is what is wow. wrong with you. And let's hit this harder because <gasps> your body is super attacking itself right now. Mm -hmm. and, and what they're doing is helping, but we can do better. That, and I would have to say that that's a little more of the standard of care is, is, early aggressive intervention versus slower. <laughs> um, not that your doctor was doing nothing. Like they weren't just being like, take a Tylenol, but 
Um, yeah. And again, it's an art and a science, um, but That's I'm so, so glad. See, again, so many patients don't know. I actually didn't know for so long because like, what does everyone talk about? What's second opinion? Like, what does that even mean? Like I have a doctor. And is that okay? And if I don't like the second one, can I go back to the first one? Yeah. There's so much confusion. It's like, literally we all need a handbook. And like, that's part of my room to thrive, like self-paced course is like the, how to be a patient, like how to talk to providers, how to understand this convoluted healthcare system, not even to even touch the topic of insurance. Cause that's, that's its own PhD. Oh, yeah. Everyone needs to navigate insurance, but anyway. Okay. So you got the new doctor in the tri-cities, which just for those listening, Spokane is a much bigger city than what's called the tri-cities um, in Washington state. So that's a great, it's a great example of like, just cause you would assume like maybe you live in Houston, like a Mecca for healthcare, you might still find an amazing doctor in like rural or, you know, less urban Texas, you know, same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and this one was fantastic. And so that's when we added in Arencia mm. and, and I was on that one for quite a while, but they just still didn't feel like that was the one they were like, Nope, I still think we can do better. Mm-hmm. And, and so after that, we tried Actemra mm-hmm. and Actemra for me was like gold. That yeah. was the happy sweet spot. That's awesome. And, and I felt like true remission. I, oh my gosh, I was able to lose the weight again. I was able to do all the fun things, rollerblading Mm -hmm. activities with my family. And then my white blood count just kept getting at a bad level. So eventually they took me off of it. Oh, I'm sorry. (sighs) Well, I didn't know that was a thing either. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be for sure. Like the medications are, it's so un, it's hard for them to predict who's going to respond what way. Like I was on a camera and my white blood cells didn't get low. Like, why did that? Ha- like, no one can tell me why that happened did, to me or didn't, or did happen to you and didn't happen. You know what I mean? It's that exactly. can be really yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's so hard if you get, you get a taste of that like remission and then it gets taken away from you. Oh yeah. And to be honest, I'm to the point where I'm considering asking to try it again because it was so wonderful. And I look back on those years, actually it was only a year. It was one year mm. <laughs> and it was wonderful. It and felt I, like years <laughs> and I want to feel like that again. And so I really am contemplating saying, Hey, can we at least give this a shot one more time and see how I do? Is there something I can do to, to maybe not have that happen again? Or maybe I know sometimes when the counts are getting low, I've seen providers, um, space out longer between injections or infusions, depending on how the meds are administered or pills, if it's like Zaljans. Um, so there is some wiggle room sometimes. Yeah. And to me, it's worth a shot because it's, it's better than feeling like I'm just kind of making it through the day as best I can. And I want to do better than make it. (laughs) Well, and I think you coming to the question, like, that's, I call it like the hundred thousand dollar question, but with inflation, maybe it's the million dollar question, which is like, how do you know when this is as good as it gets? You know, like, how do you know when to say, I'm gonna, this medicine is working as well as anything's gonna work most likely. And I'm gonna focus on adapting and adjusting versus continuing to try to like get back into that perfect remission. You know, is that kind of a question you come up with or come confront to? I think so. And I think part of it, (laughs) I hope you're ready for the next one. Oh yeah. 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 So 
it'll make more sense when, once I explain this. So the next one they tried me on, because I feel like I've been on just about everything at this point. They tried me on Remicade and I was on Remicade for quite a while. And once again, it felt like I was in remission again. Mm-hmm. And then I one day woke up and I had these little round red sores on my legs. Mm. And I went to the, to the doctor, like an urgent care doctor. And they thought that somehow I'd gotten like a skin infection from the gym pool or the gym hot tub or something. Mm -hmm. And so they put me on an antibiotic. Okay. Well, before my next infusion date, the sores kept getting bigger and then they were on the palms of my hands. Then they were on the bottoms of my feet. Then they were in my scalp. I had them in my ears and they were getting bigger and they were getting full of pus and then popping and bleeding and peeling. I cannot even begin to express how scary it was. The day I walked in there and my rheumatologist said, hold on one second. I'm going to get the other two rheumatologists. I'm pretty sure I know what this is, but I want to get their opinion too. I'm like shaking even talking about this because it was it was scary the three of them walk in and they had to gently try to explain to me what medically induced pustular psoriasis is Mm. it was not a skin infection it was from my Remicade oh my gosh I didn't even know it was possible and I was on Remicade for like six years (laughs) but it's so rare they said it happens to like 0.1% of people Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. You never want to be that rare case, do you? <laughs> Apparently uh, I am that weird, rare. So I'm at so- the time they didn't think it was because of them being the, the, an allergic reaction to TNF inhibitors in general. Mm-hmm. They thought it was just that particular one. Mm-hmm. That's when they tried me on Symponi, which is also a TNF inhibitor. Mm-hmm. It came back. Oh no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, can you get some luck over here? So evidently, if you have a reaction like this more than once, it's like it it does a weird reaction to your body. Mm-hmm. And what they explained to me is I now have a secondary lifelong diagnosis. Oh, and, and is it, is it called the pustular medically induced pustular psoriasis? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so what we've had to do is figure out how to treat both now. Yeah. And so I see. They just took me off everything all at once to try to get let my skin clear up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they sent me to a dermatologist to try different things, but they're so used to treating just regular psoriasis. Yeah. That- all the topical treatments they were giving me just burned. It just oh. burns. It almost looks like a burn from the inside out. Oh, geez. If you really want to get grossed out, Google pictures, but I don't, I don't recommend it. No, no. I thought what you were going to say is that it was, there's something that I've, I've seen a few patients talk about before where it's like a really rare allergic reaction that starts with pustules and that can like grow into your mouth and your throat and like super scary. This is still, this is super scary too. I'm sorry to anyone listening. Cause I feel like a lot of times I'll tell people, Oh, don't be scared of the meds or, you know, or the majority of people do. Okay. But it's, it's important to confront. I, I feel pretty strongly. It's important to confront 
all the parts of the potential reality, right? Like we can't run away from the fact that these rare events can occur, you know, and that's important to be aware of that. Well, and that's why they give us all the warnings and that's why they give us all the information. And a lot of it is saying it's potential side effects because they are potential and it doesn't mean it's going to happen to everyone. And I always tell everyone just because this happened to me does not mean it's going to happen to you. Mm -mm. Still, Still do your work and talk to your doctor and ask the questions, but don't be, don't be too afraid because you want to try to find the right combination that's going to work for you. And it's still possible. And it's still possible even after what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I tried Cosentex. That one was one that they treat, I guess, for both rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. and psoriasis or PSA. It didn't work for me. It didn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Tesla. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but yeah. Tesla was like the magic pill. Oh, okay. So it actually is mostly cleared up my skin. And so now it, when I get it, it's only on the palms of my hands and the bottom of my feet. Once in a while, okay. my ears, but not really, not too bad. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad you have that uh, like cleared up a bit, but I'm just sorry you had to go through that. That's so scary. It is scary, but I try to stay optimistic and encourage people to just keep fighting. Don't give up. It, you're going to find that combination. And, you know, we brought methotrexate back in with the Otesla. Okay. I seem to be doing okay, but I still keep kind of going back to Ectemra going, but would it help me? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it used to be when I was first on my first remission med, which was Enbrel, and then, it, then my body made antibodies to it. They used to think that, um, if you, if one medicine failed you, you can't go back on it because your body like permanently has those antibodies. But now the latest is that in some cases it can be okay to go back. Um, so obviously talk to your doctor about your specific case, you know, if you're listening, um, and you're interested in restarting an old medication, but it is something that is done sometimes. So I'm just gently arthritis friendly finger crossing for you. I mean, I'm just wondering how emotionally, like how, how did you cope with all these ups and downs? (laughs) That was a big question. Well, so in the beginning, it was, it was really hard because I think a lot of the people in my circle didn't really understand what was going on. And sometimes people think you're just a hypochondriac or, or you're just having aches and pains. You're young. There's nothing wrong with you because there's so many people out there that don't realize you can have arthritis and all kinds of different arthritises at yeah. any age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so the way I was treated and how many friendships I lost, that was painful. <sighs> but somehow I, I still found amazing people. And I think that's what kept me going. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of why I created my, my little corner of the space on social media was to, to support other people because I don't want people to feel alone and I want to feel encouraged and, and know that, you know, sometimes it's our mindset. We can, we can choose to keep fighting and, and find people that understand us. Totally. And it's called my Spoonie sisters, right? It is my Spoonie sisters. I love that. 
If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up, I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through. People who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T and capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Can you explain what a spoonie is to somebody listening who might not know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's that famous blogger, Christine Miserandino. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I don't even know how many years ago she wrote this, but I she think it was, was at least 15. Yeah. She was having yeah. coffee one day with a friend or maybe it was lunch. I don't even remember. And, and she was trying to explain her lupus and she just started grabbing spoons and she, mm-hmm. she explained, this is my energy and my energy might not be the same as yours. And I, I think that's genius. And so when I don't know how to explain it to people, <laughs> I'll grab plastic spoons and, and say, okay, what was the first thing you did today? Okay, here's your first spoon and so on. And I think that was, the, you know, she, I'm so glad she did that. Yeah. And Spoonie has come to mean in the community online of people with chronic illness has come to mean somebody who has a chronic illness, you know, any chronic illness, whether it's multiple sclerosis now, you know, long COVID, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, any, anything. Um, it's like a way to, to signify, Hey, this is like a little community, you know, that gets it, that understands what it means to have to, you know, um, think of your energy 
in, in, in all your life decisions, right? How much spoons will this cost me? How much emotional spoons, how much physical spoons, how much mental spoons, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a lot to think about all the time. And it's different every day. How much energy I have today, how many spoons I have on hand, it's not going to be the same as tomorrow. Maybe I didn't sleep very good tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was an injection night and my body just needs a little bit of time to recuperate. You just never know. And yeah, it's a great way of just explaining to people what we go through. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we had talked about a little bit before recording is that you love sharing about how, how, how to come to a place where you embrace your new normal or kind of how to adjust to your new normal. And that's one of my favorite things to talk about too, right? So I'm sure when you were 32 or 30 or 28, you had kind of a plan for your life or a vision for how it might go and getting a diagnosis like maybe lupus, maybe RA, maybe something else slash eventually actually RA can really feel like it thwarts that and how, what are some just, um, what are your thoughts on how you adjusted to the new normal and how others can adjust with less, um, I don't, I don't want to say less discomfort because discomfort is part of life, but you know, the less discomfort, the better in those initial days, I think. Yeah, I definitely would say number one, be honest with everyone around you. And that means all your family, your children, and, and of course, there's different levels and ways of explaining it to your children. How I would talk to a five-year-old is not the same way I'm going to talk to an 18-year-old. And mm-hmm. at the time, my children were 12, 13, and 14. Mm-hmm. And, and okay. so now I have these young adults that, that they kind of got to watch what I went through. And I had to figure out how to explain it to them. And, wow, and so, those are... Yeah. Those are really unique ages because I think there's a lot of storybooks out there. Like I know Mariah, who's been on the podcast before from Mama's Facing Forward has some great ideas, but there's like for little kids, like mommy hurts today or like, why does this hurt or that hurt? But, but 12 to for preteen and teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, did you, I would love to hear more about how you explain it to them. Did you just kind of sit them down or, you know, I was totally completely honest with them because mm-hmm. it was obvious to them that something was not right. Mm-hmm. And, and we look mm-hmm. back on it and we kind of laugh now because I, I was honest, but they understand it better now. Oh yeah. And at the time they almost would joke around about it. We went to uh, the Portland zoo one time mm-hmm. and I think they were probably mm, late junior high, high, you know, early high school years. And I have this funny picture. I mean, it's funny to me look ba- looking back on it. I was having a really bad pain day. And I was, I was struggling to keep up. And I was limping really bad behind the rest of the family walking around the zoo. And finally, my husband was like, that's it. <laughs> There's got to be a wheelchair here somewhere. And he got a wheelchair. And I've got all these pictures of the kids pushing me around. And they made it into a game. They thought it was hilarious. Let's Let's make fun of her a little bit. And they would like, get me all ready and push me and push me towards a hill. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. Teenagers do be like that. <laughs> oh yeah. And then they'd get all excited and run up and grab me and pull me back. And I, you know, it was to them, it was, it was a way of lightening up the mood because yeah, they did yeah. worry. They worried. They, they could not help me and kids, they want to help their parents. They don't want to see you in pain. Right. right. 
Yeah, I can totally see that. Like, and I think one of the things I've heard from others and I've experienced a little myself is um, that it can be hard to explain fluctuations, right? It'd be one thing if mom needs a wheelchair every single day, then you could kind of wrap your head around that. Like, this is what she needs. But to say today she does, tomorrow she might not. And she might not for a week or a year, and then she might need it again. And then that, that kind of uncertainty can be hard to wrap your head around. Well, yeah. And explaining it in a way that helps them understand, but doesn't scare them. Cause that was my concern. I didn't want them to think I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. What, how did they respond? If you don't mind me asking, they did pretty well. I, they would go out of their way to most of the time be really helpful. Mm-hmm. This is uh, vacuuming, we would, I would basically make a list for my kids, especially during the summers. And I would say, okay, these are the chores that need to be done. Mm-hmm. Each, of you pick one. Each of you pick one. And it was hilarious to see what my kids would pick. Kids are funny. Yeah. To see a child choose to clean toilets. It's very random what they love. My son loves wash like spray, anything with a spray bottle. So spraying mm-hmm. the counters, spraying the windows, anything with a spraying the shower that, you know, any counters he likes to spray. So <laughs> yeah. One of my daughters, she hates to fold laundry. She hates it. Oh, and to me, that's like the easiest thing. That's the, the easy one. Yeah. And, and towels, forget about it. You tell her to fold towels and she's like, no, no, keep those towels away from me. That's it's hilarious. Like the easiest thing on the planet. And she's like, no, no, no. I'd rather clean the toilet. Whoa. Okay. Don't question that. Just allow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of things that I would do. I would just say, you know, today is kind of a a high pain day. I don't know why I can't really explain it well to you, but it is. So here's a list of things that need to be done. Each of you pick one, please help me. Let's get this figured out. But this is, oh, sorry. I just want to interject that the fact, the fact that you said, I don't know why, but it just is. That's something I see a lot of people get stuck on. They feel like they have to justify like why they need help or like, I'm, I'm talking about myself too. Oh, like yeah. overly explain it. Like, well, because this happened yesterday that today I'm more tired. It's like, sometimes people don't need to know the whole story. They just need to know what's the end point. The end point is that you're in pain and you need help. And you're telling them not just vaguely, I need help. Like here's a list of things you can do. That's a really helpful strategy. Yeah. And it's funny to look back on the ways that we would talk to our kids back in the day and, and, and how we don't now, you know, now, okay. So I had shoulder surgery just over a month ago. Now it'd be just simply, Hey, my kids come to visit and they're like, Hey, how can I help? You can't, Mm -hmm. I know that. So what can I do for you? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do I feel okay? Not explaining it because it was surgery. Mm. I struggle to explain it because I appear. Okay. Yes. That's, you really got into like the invisible aspect, which can be so hard. Um, and I, so your number one tip for embracing a new normal is to be honest with everyone around you with what you need. I love that. And any others, any other things that have helped you embrace your new normal or help others in the Spoonie sisters community? I definitely am really into trying things. And so I started doing these fun videos over on my, my other account <laughs> Yeah, where I called them perfect pairings Monday. And every Monday I was trying to show a new thing that I found that was helping me. And 
I've kind of taken a break from them right now, especially because I can't lift. <laughs> so yeah, I'll come back when I can. But I love to share things like, um, oh gosh, why am I mind blanking on this one? Like life hack type things. My can opener. Why can't, oh, I, yeah. think, why can't I think of my can opener? Oh, I have a whole video of bloopers of me calling my can opener a jar opener like 16 times before I could remember to call it a can opener. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's a kitchen mama. Why couldn't oh, I think kitchen that? mama. Yeah, that's the and one I love. I love kitchen mama. And so I have all kinds of little videos I've made sharing my, my kitchen mama. And, and so I've got all these kitchen gadgets and things I use to rub on my fingers or my grace enable compression gloves, you know, all those things. And, and I, I think once you find something, share the heck out of it because people want to know. And that's what I love about our community is we're all willing to just say, Hey, this helped me for this thing. This is what you're struggling with. Go get it. Maybe I can find you a coupon code. Here you go. Yeah. But that's part of embracing the new normal is saying, Hey, I might have to do things differently now. And I'm not going to, I'm going to commit to saying this is my life. And I'm, I'm leaning into it as opposed to thinking, Oh, it's so depressing. I'm only 40 or I'm only 30 and I have to use a jar opener. I'm only 20. And if that's where you're at emotionally, like I just want to validate that that's a phase a lot of people go through, but it can be really empowering to say, no, I'm not going to let this ableist culture make me think that I'm less than because I am using these compression gloves or using this, you know, gadget. Like, and that was one of the really surprising things to me when I started sharing my life hacks, I was doing it just because I'm like, honestly, from a content perspective, it felt like the low hanging fruit, like the easiest things to demonstrate right in a visual medium is things that you can see <laughs> like here are gloves. I put them on my hands as opposed to what I really love talking about the most is the mental health and the emotional coping aspect, but that's hardest to, to, to see because you can't see it. It's in your, <laughs> you know, it's in your mind. Um, yeah. so, but I was floored at the response. Like, Oh, you look like you're like not ashamed of using them. And I'm like, yeah, it's cause I'm not. And they're like, wait, how did you get there? You know, like, did you ever, I'm curious for you. Did you ever have shame or embarrassment around using them? Or are you kind of no shame like me? <laughs> I think it's no shame. I'm like, you know what? You take me as I am. I I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit crazy fun and you just take it or leave it. And if you don't like it, walk away. I'm not the person for you. I'm not the account for you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know, I also, I, you know, talking about leaning in, I lean in hard to that mindset. And so people might see me constantly po posting about mindset because yeah. it is crucial that we pay attention to it. Yes. And that we take care of it because it is so easy to just say, you know what? It's raining today. My joints hurt. You know, my favorite kitchen tool, my kitchen mama broke today for whatever reason. And now I have mm -hmm. to open a new one. My kid threw it on the floor. It's easy to take all those things and just say, you know what? I'm staying in bed today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we really have to focus on that mindset of like, we have so much to offer just as we are. We are mm -hmm. enough just as we are. I don't need to impress anyone. I don't need to look a hundred percent. Yeah. It's okay. How did you ever out of curiosity, go to therapy to help with all this? Or did you, how did you become mentally strong? <laughs> I went to therapy and I had a really 
strong foundation in my childhood and parents and stuff. I did, I did therapy before I was diagnosed for anxiety because I've, I've had anxiety my whole life. Mm -hmm. I I I never did. (laughs) I never did any kind of therapy or counseling during my chronic illness journey. I think I just really lucked out with great people in my life. And, and once I finally joined this whole Instagram world, I feel so lucky that I found all the people that I did because there's so many of us, we have such a huge community of amazing people. Yeah. Yeah. That has been the huge blessing for me too, is the social media community. I really didn't dive deep into it until 2020 in the pandemic, you know, I was sharing things occasionally. I started, but I started arthritis life as what I envisioned as primarily a YouTube channel in 2019. And with maybe an associated Instagram and Facebook, just to kind of promote what I was doing on YouTube, you know, and then it was like, well, wait a minute. Now everything's on social media. Everything's, you know, and I just found the community was a little more back and forth on Instagram as opposed to YouTube, even though I still do, by the way, all these recordings, I should say, I keep forgetting to say this on the podcast that these are all recorded, um, to be put on YouTube as well on the arthritis life YouTube channel. But, um, speaking of social media, there's one more thing I wanted to talk, ask you about before we get to the rapid fire questions. Um, but you and I both, I, um, really, I think, seems to love using humor as like either an educational tool or a coping tool. Like I'm, and I, it's one of the, I actually wanted to do like a whole podcast and panel discussion, maybe sometime in the future about just about humor and the role of humor. I would love that. Yeah. I think you and, um, what's her name? She's autoimmune adventures. I think she oh, is she so freaking hilarious. Laura. Laura. Yeah, yeah. I love her. She's hilarious. Everything she does. It cracks me up. Okay. So what in what, how has humor helped you <laughs> or I, tell me about your experiences being, being hilarious on, on social media? <laughs> yeah, I think it kind of, it goes a little bit with that mindset, you know, on those days. I mean, especially now that I have young adult out of the house kids a husband at work. I don't have a day job anymore since we moved. So now I have all this freedom, freedom to lay in bed. I can feel sorry for myself if I want to. Mm -hmm. So instead I choose to get up and make something funny because there's other people that are feeling the way that we are. And I want to make them laugh just like others make me laugh. And so I'm going to dance like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Amazingly. I'm going to think of all these funny things. And and sometimes I go into this total pit of, I can't think of anything funny right now. And that's okay. That's okay. It'll come back when it does. And it, and it always does. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I answered your question very well. (laughs) No. Well, it sounds like you, you've touched initially, you tied it in perfectly. I didn't even think about this as humor is part of that mindset. Um, I know that there's this great quote by Viktor Frankl that um, he, he survived the concentration camps. Um, he wrote a great book called man's search for meaning, which I'll put that in the show notes. But, um, he said like humor gives the soul a sense of aloofness over like, I, I, I'm butchering this quote, but it was something like humor allows you to get to, to transcend and get a sense of aloofness and an above perspective on what you're facing, you know? And he said, humor was one of the soul's weapons in for self-preservation. I'm going to find this quote. Um, yeah. Of the soul's weapons of self 
preservation. I think that I'm pretty sure that was the phrase. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Good job, memory. It's weird what stays in there with the brain fog. <laughs> Humor was another of the soul's weapons in the fight for self-preservation. I mean, isn't that beautiful? It is perfect. Yeah. It, it makes you, and he said something else earlier uh, in the book about aloofness. Like it gives you a sense of like, if you can make fun of something, you're not in it anymore. You're looking at it like what they would call in acceptance of commitment therapy. They would call it like the observing self. Like there's the self that's like, you're the main character in your life and you're living your life. And then there's the observing self, which is making sense of what they see that the person's going through. Right. And so to be funny about a situation, you have to take a step back from it. And that in and of itself is like a, what they would call again, an acceptance of commitment therapy or act, which is the therapeutic technique I find the most helpful is, um, a, a um, cognitive distancing technique or causative diffusion technique. So yeah, I think you definitely answered that to me. That's what that, when you talked about it being helping with the mindset and then, and then using it as a social tool. So you're not just doing it for yourself, but you're doing it. And that's a big motivation for me too, making others laugh, making others um, feel less alone, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, we're going through enough as it is. We don't, yeah. we don't need to feel any worse. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. And I do think I do want, this is something that we'll, we'll do a separate uh, panel talk on humor because one of the only times I feel really, really bad about a negative comment on social media is when it's usually on a video that I've made. Usually the, the only negative comments I get that actually bother me are from other people who have the same diagnosis and just aren't finding what I'm saying either helpful or they, they feel like I'm making light of the situation, like saying, well, it's fine that you have RA and you're able to dance around and point at things and be silly, but I can't, you know, you don't know what it's like for me, you know, and that kind of can put me, first of all, I feel empathetic and I feel sad for that person then I feel defensive for myself. Well, you don't know what it was like. I couldn't always do this. Or maybe in two hours I'm passed out on the couch because I'm so fatigued, but I'm able to do this. Yeah. So do you ever have those? Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a dangerous situation for people to start comparing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all in it. We're all in it and we're all struggling. And what today looks like tomorrow night might not look like. Although maybe this person, maybe they're wheelchair bound. And, and so they're, they're not able to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. I have met people that can, you know, that still they're in a wheelchair and they're still having fun and they're still dancing and rocking it out. It constantly goes back to that mindset. Do you want to choose to sit in that pity for yourself Mm -hmm. or do you want to find a way to get outside the box, have some fun? make some friends and do some silly. I, we need more silly. Yeah, we do need more silliness. And again, and that's years in my personality type. Other people might, or I don't, I don't know you that well, but so I should say, but like there are, there is a subset of people, right. Who that is meaningful for us, for someone else, it might not be meaningful, you know, for them, they may find that focusing on the serious or the sad parts is a form of advocacy for them to say like, Hey, this is not just arthritis or just because, you know, 80% of people do well with the modern meds. There's that 20% that don't do well. And like, we deserve our voice to be heard too. And I think that's all valid. It's just, it's hard. Like I'm a people pleaser. Like maybe you're not quite as much. Cause you were saying earlier that you, you kind of didn't worry about other people think that's taken me a long time to not be, to not 
worry so much what other people think and want to make everyone happy. Do are you do you struggle with that too? Or are you a little bit oh, more? I do. Do you have, oh, oh I okay. Do. <laughs> like, like I I try really hard to constantly remind myself to not care what people think. And there's yeah. times where I let it creep in. I mean, we all can't help it. That's true. We're social animals. That's you gotta I... you gotta try to grow some thick skin, but sometimes it's hard to do, especially mm-hmm. there are those comments that every once in a while, you know, someone looks at something that you're doing and they're like, you're not really sick. How are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. You must not really have it. Oh, yeah. well this, okay. We'll save the rest of that analysis for uh, the humor panel. <laughs> I'm so excited because I've been winding it forever. Now I'm, I'm going to manifest it. No, I'm going to make it happen through my That's own correct. hard work. <laughs> so, um, okay. Rapid fire. What are your best words of wisdom for newly diagnosed people? Okay. So I, I actually have this written down because so prepared. I, I just feel like I have to constantly remind myself and this to others. So mm-hmm. I say this a lot, but when things feel out of control and at their worst, you matter. You're enough and you need to be careful not to mourn the life you once had because this life that we have is still so important and you still have so much to offer. And so your life is worth living and thriving. It just looks a little different. And that different is what's going to help someone else. So I, I always go back to the same thing. Like use what you're going through to help other people. Mm -hmm, Don't sit mm -hmm. in self-pity. It's not worth it. It doesn't feel good. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help anyone else. Or you can put a timer on. That's what I recommend. Sometimes I'm going to give myself five minutes to wallow in this because it sucks. And then I can kind of then say, okay, in the next five minutes after that, what can I still do? That's meaningful and important to me. You know, and maybe today was a really bad RA day. And so maybe I need to allow myself to wallow in that for the day. And my husband's really good at at saying like, okay, timer's up. You got to get back up. And I think that's what kind of helps me too, is, is he encourages me. I, I want to talk to you more about him, but I'm trying to be good about time management. <laughs> so, I know, I'm sorry. No, this is great. <laughs> no, really chatty people. <laughs> I know. Well, it would be, it would, I have another idea of like, maybe like a spouse panel too, because to see, like, I know a lot of spouses struggle to know like what to do. And I think we're also different, but there are some themes. That I'm could sure. be a dangerous one. My husband has <laughs> no filter. Oh, I uh, don't get it with me. Cause I, yeah, I don't either. Um, what's your, him. yeah. I've been telling him he needs his own TikTok just to entertain people. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, sorry. I just clapped. That's going to make a big noise in the audio. <laughs> That's okay. No, I'm recording this on separate tracks. So I'll use your audio for part of that. Um, what is your favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox? Is it the kitchen mama? It, it really is. I mean, yeah. I'm torn because grace and Abel, those gloves feel so good. They're buttery. And, you know, we'll do both. Yeah. Well, and then be well, I don't know if you're familiar with be well, but she's got mm. some amazing stuff too. Yes. And I mean, I know it's geared more towards like Crohn's and colitis and all that kind of stuff, but she mm-hmm. has those great little pill holders that I take with me everywhere. And I mean, yes. I could go on. There's so many amazing companies out there. Yeah. And it's great to support the small, small uh, creators like yeah. the grace enable and be well. Do you have a favorite book or movie or show you've been digging recently? Okay. So my favorite show or movie, actually, we'll go with my favorite movie. I know. Um, in our family, at least for my husband and I is blended. And be- that partially is because we are a blended family. So it's, it's funny to me because 
my kids are my kids. But when I tell people that my kids are 22, 23, and 24, I get, I get those big, large eyes going, you had a baby every year? No, honey. I had one of them. Yeah, yeah, Someone yeah. Else did all the hard work for me. And, and so I'm lucky in that. And so we love the movie Blended. It's hilarious. It's funny. The guy dancing on there. It's so much fun. If you haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen it. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, oh my gosh. You're in for a treat. There's this big, strong, muscular guy doing all the, the dancing. Picture kind of like watching Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, yeah. And his peck popping. Oh my gosh. Picture kind of that, but through a whole movie with, uh, oh gosh. Oh, Adam Sandler. Yes, Drew Barrymore. Adam Sandler, yeah, yeah. Barrymore. The two of them together are always They're gold. They're gold. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, and do you have a favorite mantra or inspirational saying? Wow. Probably the one thing I always say to everyone is don't forget your spoon. Mm. always always save that one spoon for for something that day for yourself wow there's something you might need to do to just take care of your your own take care of you so don't forget your spoon I love that I'm reading a memoir called crying in H Mart I don't know if you've heard of that it's by the singer Michelle of um Japanese breakfast the band um and she her mom was Korean and she um her mom said, always save 10% of you for yourself. She was talking about like her marriage, but I was like, that's really interesting. Cause again, I'm the kind of person that wants to spend all my spoons on everyone else, but I've learned chronic illness. That's the biggest thing that's taught me is the self-care for sure. And, and that I'm worth saving that spoon for, right. You have to have that self-love too. Definitely. Sorry. Okay. What's bringing you joy right now? This is not very rapid. That's how I am. <laughs> um, okay. So the biggest joy is actually, I have a almost two-year-old grandson. Oh my gosh. I FaceTime him and my daughter almost every single day. Oh, two is such a fun year. Ugh. Yeah. And I mean, it's exhausting when it's your own, but. <laughs> oh yeah. And you know, every single night, like I'll use last night as an example, he, he gets his Spider-Man stuffy and then he's got his, he's really into uh, monkeys. And so he's yeah. got his monkey and what was the other thing he had? He was struggling with what, how to say it properly. And it really so, sounds like an inappropriate word. <laughs> oh, I can't think of what it was. I can't think either. It doesn't matter. But anyway, so he has all his stuff and, and he's like, okay, song, song. I want a song. And so we, we have this routine of, of usually three songs every day and trying to teach him to join in and sing with me. And so that's really, that's my biggest joy. My grandson. So sweet. And then last one, but it's a lot, it's a biggie. What does it mean for you to live a good life and thrive with rheumatic disease? it means for me to not to give up mm. because in the beginning, I really, I really did. I pictured that I was going to be a crippled person, just not living what I envisioned as a, a fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. And, and I now understand that crippled or not, it doesn't matter. I can still have a wonderful life. Yeah. Yes. We all, we all can. We have so much to offer. It's just a matter of figuring out what it is that we are good at and can serve a purpose to help others. 
I love it. I love it. I really resonate with that. And, um, thank you so much. <laughs> this has been so yeah. great. It went by so fast. I was not, I was expecting that I could tell we were just on the same vibes wavelength. Um, but where can people find you online? I will put all your links in the show notes, but okay. Yeah. I mean, the two best, sorry, I'm hitting my microphone. That's the two best places to find me is my, my main account that I'm always on is gracefully underscore Jen. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're going to find a lot of really ridiculous stuff for me. Sometimes mm-hmm. serious, but a lot of ridiculous. And, uh, and then of course there's my underscore Spoonie underscore sisters. And that is also a podcast and it's kind of a, a community of crazy fun. We, we make reels where we throw spoons to each other and dance and, so cute. and laugh. we have little chat groups of, of support for each other. We send happy mail to each other. Uh, yeah, those are the two best places to find me. I am on Facebook. I just really don't get on there a lot. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone finds the right platform for them. You know, some love Twitter. I'm on all of them, but I do spend the most time on, on Instagram yeah. these days. Sometimes. And I do have YouTube. I think I have a whole three followers. <laughs> oh, well, we could triple that if six people follow you. <laughs> I really need to get better about posting everything over on there. I, I know I, I'm the same. I, I, it's very sporadic, but the, the podcast, I am posting all the long interviews on there. It's just the reels. I don't know was it's cause you have to be careful with the audio rights. So TikTok has rights to a lot of the same songs that reels has, but YouTube is much more restricted. So you can't, you have to like, make sure that you have the rights to the song or that, that YouTube has the rights to the songs. That's something I, I live in constant fear of like breaking some rule around audio copyrights. Uh, but anyway, on that, on that note, thank you so much. It's really, I'm sure there are people listening who just are resonating with your story. And there's, there are a lot of people, especially who've had multiple, um, experiences with medications, either not working or having reactions or having rare side effects that they feel so alone. Cause sometimes on social media, it can feel like everyone else just had this blissful, easy experience. Kind of like I did when I first went on Enbrel and I was like, this is great. <laughs> it just works, you know? Right. Like silvicalzine. Oh, I had an upset tummy. Okay. Well then I tried the next one. It worked amazing. And it can feel really isolating. Um, like first you're isolated from your friends cause they don't have RA and then you're isolated from the RA community. Cause it seems like they're all doing fine on the meds and you're not. So I know that people listening are going to really resonate those who've been through some of what you've been through. And I appreciate your positive attitude and mindset after all, everything you've been through. It was this freaking a lot. <laughs> It's crazy. I I can't, I couldn't even make it up if I tried. It's so crazy. No, it would be like, if it was in a novel, we'd be like, that's not realistic. All those things can't happen to one person. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. And I hope you all listening, go follow Jenny because she is so fun. And, um, if you resonate, you know, everyone's, uh, different, but I hope that you enjoy her content as much as I do. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. It was so much fun. And thank you for having me. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye for now. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. 
Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you. Bye.